I love Ed Doherty. He's a great guy. Oh my God, this podcast is so fantastic. Like he made me cry again yeah. when I watched it again. Yeah. He's just so authentic. He's super self-deprecating, vulnerable, like all the things. He shared so much in the way of introspection, right? Yeah. Like he called himself an asshole. He talked oh, yeah. about some of the, the demons that he fought and how he got through it and how people helped him. Like he's, I think he at one point even said like, I shouldn't be here. Right. And he couldn't believe where he is. And he couldn't believe that there were people who wanted to mentor him and yeah. brought him through his life. And like he almost, it's almost like he feels like, you're right, like it was like sort of just given to him yeah. and, and he doesn't deserve it for some reason. Yeah, and he can't understand it. But yet he gives so much back and to he gives people so much now. Back. And I think it's because he so much was given. You know what else I loved is the fact that he really wasn't a chef. Like he had no, <laughs> no idea. The how Hollandaise story is fantastic. <laughs> I told my wife that last night. We were laughing. It was just a great story. It's a great story. So all you guys out there, get excited. Pull your car over. Over Volvo. Volvo? Did I say Volvo? <laughs> It's a whole different podcast. <laughs> cut, cut that, cut that. Um, so everyone out there, um, get excited to listen to Ed Doherty. Hi, I'm Stacy, And I am Mark, and this is the Gurus and Game Changers podcast. Welcome, 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 Gurus and Game Changers. We are so excited today because on the show, we have one of my personal gurus, Ed Doherty. Hi. He's the founder of One Degree Coaching. But he has a long career, even though he's so young. Right. <laughs> he started out um, in the restaurant business, right? Yes. Um, Capitol Grill, Union Trust Steakhouse. Yes. Director of, and then he went director of ops of Saxby's. Mm -hmm. um, and now you're found, you have the founder of One Degree Coaching. Yes. So want to tell me a little bit about yourself and about One Degree Coaching? And then I want to sure. reel it back to the family life. You got it. So uh, One Degree Coaching is, uh, was born out of hospitality, but it works everywhere. Um, it's really about leadership and connecting people in a one degree relationship. Um, and it uh, was a journey I learned in the tough streets of restaurant business. So I started, I was a chef for 20 some years and chefs are lovely people. And they, Are uh, you being sarcastic? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I started out in the 1970s, that's how young I am, um, it was a very different dynamic. And uh, the chef, chief, the whole structure of, of the restaurant chef world comes from Escoffier, and Escoffier was a military guy. Mm. So he created a military structure in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And it, it was wonderful because it added order and sanitation and those kinds of things, but it also created the... Can I use the A word? Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah. Okay. Created a bunch of assholes. <laughs> <laughs> so I consider myself a reformed asshole. Right. And uh, so the journey along the way, I just wanted to build happy, high-performing teams. That was my goal. And I just happened to be a chef. And I didn't know that until later. But um, I realized my behavior did not sync up to my why and okay. what I wanted to accomplish. Well, what's an example of that kind of behavior. So was it the chef, like, yes, chef, like that kind of like, it's I'm the dominance. boss. And, okay. It's just pure dominance. Shut up. I, mm. I'm the only You're voice the here. I'm yeah. the king. Yeah. It's, it's a fiefdom. Right. And uh, it's fun for a while, but it doesn't work with human beings over the long term. So mm -hmm. I wanted to build these long-term relationships. People would come and go. I've had some notoriety as a chef in the 80s and the early 90s. So people would hang out with me long enough to get their resume 
Um, right. But they really didn't like me. Mm. So I looked in the mirror one day and I said, you know, you're an asshole, dude. And, you know, if you really want to accomplish your overarching goal, um, you need to change the way you navigate the planet. So I started studying human nature. But what was that inciting moment? Like what, so what made you look at the mirror and say, dude, you're an asshole? Two things. One, I was, I usually don't like to talk about this, but I was an alcoholic. (laughs) So I had a, uh, a uh, come to uh, the universe conversation with myself. I quit drinking um, and stopped, stopped a lot of stuff. And just started this journey of self-discovery, and uh, yeah. So at, during his getting sober, you know, I was in the the program, as they say, the twelve-step program, and I it was this orderly way of digging yourself out of darkness. And so the program, the twelve-step program, I was like, wow, this could probably be applied to wow anything. Yeah. And I started to think about how not only I could evolve. Uh, but how I could evolve the workplace that I was in, which was, you know, pretty rough. So, like, for those people, like, there's listeners out there who have been in that same exact situation, or maybe they're even there now. Mm-hmm. How do you take that first step? Like, do you just stay yourself and be like, okay, I'm going to do this. Do you get help? Do you have your own guru, your own person who kind of guides you along that way? Or, like, how yeah, can we help people question. who need that? Well, it really, it's, unfortunately, statistically, it's, it's not good, you know, as far as the sobriety thing is concerned. Um, I am very lucky to have quit and never relapsed or anything like that. So when it comes to sobriety, um, what I think is that step is that you fear loss. Okay. Um, it's not like I am going to change, I'm going to be a better man, you know, it yeah. is more... Yeah. I am going to lose my life. I'm going to lose my... I already lost one wife. So I'm going to, you know, I had a girlfriend. She was going to leave me. Um, things weren't good. Right. Uh, I didn't ever have a problem at work because I didn't drink at work, but it was fear of loss. So I did it selfishly. And then, you know, in the program, you have somebody called a sponsor, right. and they're your guru. And okay. they take you through the steps. So. Um, and that person was probably pretty important to you. Yeah, yeah, he was, you know, the funny thing is, um, if I saw him on the street, I probably would walk the other way. Wow. That's the program, because... Right, you're supposed he, to be anonymous, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, but no, I mean, he's not the kind of person I would hang out with, huh. Interesting, because I was a snob, right, so uh, wow. I was a chef. You mean before you went into the program, you would... You yeah, would I was yeah. egomaniac, yeah. Uh, with an inferiority complex, so I... Uh, Tommy, Tommy G, he not only was he a stroke victim and he was much older than me, but uh, it made me realize that with the way people look and the, where they come from is not what's happening here, right? So he taught me a lot and he uh, tricked me into uh, getting better. <laughs> How do you say? That's, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, that? Why do you say tricked you into it? Oh, he would call me up and say, Ed, I really got to get to a meeting. And I didn't want to go to one. You know, you go to these meetings to stay sober. And uh, I'd be like, Tommy, I'm busy. I got stuff going. He goes, oh, if, I, if, you, don't, hmm. if you don't pick me up, I, I might drink. And I was like, oh, my God, it's terrible. Yeah. And I'd go and pick him up. He didn't. He was, no. like, sober for 30 years. <laughs> and he would get my ass to yeah. the meeting. And, and, then, and then I started talking to people. I was like, boy, he's really, he's like, 
he does that to everybody. <laughs> and so, Latest you know, victim. he really, you know, him and Harry. several other people. Thank you, Tommy. Intervened. Thank you for helping me yeah. find Ed in my life. Yeah. 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 I've had several interventions in my life where people kind of saw me and said, is kids better than that? And wow. And kind of pulled me out. So, so. That, did that happen when you were young as well? Yeah. Yeah, I had a pretty, uh, my childhood was a little, there wasn't a lot of safety and belonging in my childhood. Right. So. I had um, I had an older brother who was adopted and he wasn't well and he was violent and so uh, I was his uh, <laughs> Punch, punching bag exactly Aww. so and my mom and dad they had me late and they they you know they were the uh, the generation that they just wanted to have fun and so by <laughs> the time I came along they were having fun and I kind of you know I didn't have a lot of safety and belonging at home so. Um, you know, I, I learned how to create safety and belonging for myself, like outside of the house. Right, right. And, um, you know, my, my journey through high school, like I flunked out of high school. Um, wow. I was involved with, you know, all the things that kids in the 70s were involved sure. with. Sure, yeah, yeah. I, I uh, spent my senior year summer and everybody else having fun in summer school just to get out. And uh, uh, so I was a lost soul. And um, my father got me into this private two-year school in Dover, Delaware, which was for highly motivated underachievers, but I was not highly motivated, and, and I was an underachiever, and uh, yeah, I had hair down to my waist, and I was just... Ah, I want pictures. Yeah, I could show you yeah, some. Yeah, But it was, it was just that time, and it was really dark, and this, this guy, this professor, I would sleep in the back of the room, and uh, one day he grabbed me, and he said, I want to show you something. Now, it's 1974. So there was a lot of apathy back then. Like it was post, the, the war was just winding down the Vietnam War. And, you know, there was barely a high school football team when I was in high school. Like nobody would do that. It was not cool, right? So things happened, like programs suffered. So at this school, Lewis Wells, who was a professor there, they called him Uncle Louie. Um, little did I know that he picked somebody out every year to like save. Oh my gosh. And he marched me across the hall and it was this dingy little theater a little small you know theater and it was dirty and it was dusty and it was in disrepair and and he said and he said what do you think of this i said i think this place needs help and i said yeah it needs somebody to love and so do you oh my god i still get emotional oh my gosh i'm gonna get emotional yeah so little did he know or maybe he did i was in theater in I played, I was, you know, remember the Valley Forge Music Fair? I don't know if you remember. Yeah, of course. Well, I lived across the street from the Camden County Music Fair. So in the summer, I was, I worked at Summerstock Theater with like, you know, real famous people, you know, like wow. from New York and, and Hollywood. And it was, that what's what Hollywood uh, people and Broadway people did during the summer back in those days. And they'd be in these little theaters. So he, I was I already had a theater background. He walked me in here and he said, this place needs you. You need it. How do he? How do you think he knew? I don't know. It's one of those weird things. So, hmm. so I turn around. He's gone, and I'm walking. <laughs> what? I'm what? walking around. Was this he place. real? <laughs> I, yeah. So I walked around this place, and it was. It hadn't. There hadn't been a show there in years, and like the apathy of the '60s just kind of killed. You know, let's do Broadway plays. You know, it just like no one wanted to do anything. Nobody right? wanted to do yeah, that. Yeah, they just want to smoke pot and yeah, chill and yeah, yeah, and, and protest. have sex and protest. And protest yeah, yeah, free love. Sounds fun. So <laughs> I spent weeks cleaning up this place, throwing out the old sets. Um, you know, just changing the lighting. Like I knew how to do all that stuff. And then a few months later, we put on our first show. 
So what, like knowing what you know now, like what do you think that lesson was? Like what, what did he instill in you right then? Belonging. Okay. A sense of purpose. I didn't have any. Purpose. You know, I, I was, I was lost. I really was. I was, and (laughs) funny thing is a year later I was a student government president. I cut all my hair off. I was the uh, I was in Phi Theta Kappa, which is the Phi Beta Kappa of yeah, yeah. of two year schools, and um, yeah, it was crazy. How much of that experience do you carry with you when you're working with teams? It's my entire why. It's what mm-hmm. I I I want. I was a lost soul mm-hmm. who found purpose, and um, and I knew that. You know, people always go, oh, no, don't, don't say that. But I knew I was average. Um, the only thing I really had was I was kind of born with this optimistic outlook that I'd really got dark at that time when Lewis Wells saved me. But um, um, I, I was born with optimism. And that, that has always been um, a fascinating for me that, you know, even though I was like, I knew I was like average, IQ and all that stuff. I just had this more a bright outlook. Um, my father always told me I had my head in my cloud, my mm-hmm. head in the clouds, and all that stuff that I was, you know, easily, uh, you know, I was just naive. Mm-hmm. But that naivete and optimism is the thing that really became what I am trying to help other yeah. people. Amen. That was your fuel. Amen. Yeah. Well, how did you get into cooking? Well, um, I was I, I transferred to the University of Delaware from Wesley, and uh, then I, I got uh, into. My mother was a teacher, so I didn't know what to do, and I was like, "I'll be a teacher." Um, meanwhile, I'd always worked in restaurants, and the when the summer stock theater was down, I worked in restaurants, and you know, I kind of stunk at it. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> I was a dishwasher, and I was you know, I was okay, and then I was a line cook, and I was really bad, and. Um, but it was always fun because it was like pirate ships. You know, like, you ever worked in a restaurant? They're literally, especially in the 70s and 80s, it was a pirate ship, you know, with just just crazy, you know. What do you mean? Was it was a pirate ship. You mean like just the bat bodiness and smoking and, the, yeah. and doing lines yeah. and just... You know, <laughs> and it was work. It was and everybody was having yeah. fun. Yeah. And you'd work 12 hours and you'd, you'd sweat and curse. and Bond. It, it, yeah, it was a pirate ship. Yeah. Um, and it was a head pirate and that was the chef. And I was like... I like that. That's kind of cool. So when I was graduating, I realized I didn't want to be a third grade teacher. Um, and uh, I wanted to, I think, I think I want to do this. So one day I was working at the uh, Blue and Gold Club, which was the University of Delaware's uh, faculty alumni club. And there was this chef there named Bill. And Bill was a drunk. And Bill would come in and he would, uh, he would uh, start drinking and he'd pass out in a Rathskeller in the basement. And uh, so I was like, wow. So I got my first offer uh, to be a teacher in the Wilmington School District for like 13000 a year. Mm-hmm. This is 1978, nine. Mm-hmm. And so I walked up to Bill one day and he was like, he was decorating a cake and he was like, this is gross, but he was like flop sweating on it because oh. he was so hungover mm-hmm. and oh, he was like trying to pipe. I'm like, oh my God. So I said, hey, Bill, uh, this is a question for you. Do you mind if I ask you a personal question? What do you make a year? And he was like, I make 30000 a year. And I was like, for drinking all day, <laughs> Easy I, choice, I could right? do that. Third grade or thirty thousand? Yeah, it was like it was that. So yeah. I made that's how I made my career decision. Yeah, and then I found this little place called Goodfellows in uh, in Newark, Delaware, and this woman named uh, excuse me, this that's woman okay. named um, Kathy Reese 
turned out she was like an up and coming chef, but I just wandered in there. And I, didn't I was going to really say, she sounds that. familiar, Kathy Reese. Yeah, she, she was the first woman on the cover of Food and Wine magazine when they did the top wow. 10. Yeah. So here I was, you know, she did all the cooking and I would put parsley on the plate, you know, and yeah. make the rolls. And I thought I was like really cool. <laughs> and, um, you know, here comes George Perrier. You know, he's hanging out there. Pierre Franet, people won't remember him maybe, but he was the sixth Dominique Gourmet for New York Times. Craig Claiborne, who was the New York Times food critic for years back in the 70s and the 80s. These guys were like the top, top, mm -hmm. you know, guys back then. And they were showing up there, and I just happened to be there. Why were they showing up? Just because of her. Wow. She was, she was an enfantier terrible. You know, she was this amazing young upstart young woman chef and she got tons of attention and uh, I was there along for the ride wow but did I was she all... take you under her wing or how did she totally yeah yeah but I was delusional I thought I was actually her you know so uh, it's all part of being a narcissist by the way but um or confident yeah yeah more <laughs> delusion than anything you're else. hard on yourself <laughs> no I'm just honest okay yeah. so I decided to go off on my own I wanted to go to Philadelphia and make my name and I went to Philadelphia and I applied to this place called La Terrasse in West Philadelphia. And at the time, it was one of a handful of really good restaurants in 1980 in Philadelphia. There was Frog, La Terrasse. There was Lebec, but it was over in where Vetri is now. It was a very small restaurant community. And I went in there and, and applied, and I interviewed. This woman interviewed me by the name of Judy Wicks, hmm. White Dog Cafe. Wow. And uh, she was the manager at the time. And uh, I went in there and I was like, oh, yeah, I can do this and do that. I was putting parsley on a plate. I had no clue. Oh, my and God. I was thrown into this kitchen and I had no, what, I had no idea what I was doing. Wow. Like, I realized in like one moment, like, what did I do? I don't, I could, any parsley I could put on a plate? No, <laughs> come on. You knew more than that. Oh, I did not. Seriously? I knew some. I was really not good. So what'd you do? Well, because it was 1980 and you can get away with that crap. I had a copy. <laughs> I, I I had a copy of Julia Child's *The Art of French Cooking*. You know, like the movie Julia. Mm -hmm. That yeah. Yeah, yeah. Julia and Julia. Well, I put it in my locker, and every time the chef would go, "Go make some holidays," I'd be like, "I wonder what that is." I swear to God, no way. I would go downstairs. I love it. And I go, and I go upstairs, and I'd like. He was like, "No, no, not like that. What are you doing?" Oh, I'm sorry. This is what we did at the last place, <laughs> and I just lied me my locker. <laughs> wow, you faked it till you made it. Yeah, and two and a half years later, I was the executive chef. I'm, I'm not kidding. So you went in as the as a line chef, or how did line you? cook? Yeah, line cook. Yeah, and then it was this optimistic energy that I had. There was guys coming in from Culinary Institute. There were people there that had much more talent than me and experience, but I just kept raising, going to these leadership positions because of my attitude, basically. So I you weren't there. an asshole then. Well. I was. Um, I was told by several people working me that I was a good. I was a good guy, but um, maybe there's outside of work when I was drinking. But, but for the most part, no, I was not. Um, I I just modeled, you know, what I had what seen. You saw. Right. And then you know Judy, who was amazing. Judy Wicks is incredible. One of my great mentors. She taught me culture. She taught me what actually culture was. She sent me to Paris. Like this is the kind of stuff they would do back then. Like, all expense paid. I went to Paris and studied at La Varenne. So I really experienced some wonderful assholes there, like these real Michelin star chefs, you know, that right. worked in this place. Came back to La Terrasse and, uh, and so. So as an executive chef there, did, hmm? did you, were you 
that person? Like, were you that militant yeah. leader? Mm-hmm. And then, so where'd you go from there? From there, uh, Judy was, uh, Lutteras was like the place. It, it, like the people that came out of Lutteras, the talent that came out of there, it was one of those nests opened up like the next generation of restaurants in Philadelphia. Wow. And so she was fired. The owner decided that the place was so amazing, somebody put it into his head it could be franchised or mm. it could make a lot of them. So they got rid of her. And uh, that's when I f- discovered the power of culture because the place was, everybody was just, it was the happiest place to work. Everybody was doing amazing work. It, it was just heaven. And within weeks mm. after she was sent away, <laughs> everything started to teeter and fall oh, no. apart. They, the leadership wasn't there anymore. The cultural leader, the chief culture officer right. had left the building. Wow. And then the spirit of the organization crashed. And she went down the street, licked her wounds, opened up a little muffin shop, sold orange Gina and made muffins in, in, in her upstairs, just doors down from La Terrasse where she lived in this brownstone. And that became the White Dog Cafe. And oh my. she said, Ed, I need you. And I was like, I've got this gig. (laughs) But I loved her, and I went down there, and we put some gravel out back. We got a barbecue Wait, you started the White Dog Cafe with her? I did, yeah. I didn't know that about you. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I gravel, stones, chairs, no ceiling, roof. You couldn't do that nowadays. And then we just cooked out back, and people came, and if it rained, dinner was over, and (laughs) um, it was wacky times. And I couldn't stay because I just had my daughter, and then I, I went out and worked at uh, another restaurant. But uh, I got it started for her. That's incredible. Yeah, I could do that. How about that? I oh wow! Okay. Hello. Hi there, Clark Kent, yeah. Superman. Hey. Here we go. <laughs> Glasses off, audience. Yeah. So I learned culture from Judy, and that really became a big part of what, as you know, what I do now. So then you went from there to Capital Grill. Mm, no, no. Years in between. Okay. Um, I went to a place called London Restaurant, and then I realized, like, Peter was, like, one of my great drinking buddies, uh, Peter Coughlin. He was a great, great guy, you know, two Irishmen, you know, Mm -hmm. and I realized if I didn't get out of there, I was going to die because, you know, so. Peter was a great drinking buddy. That's about when I got sober, (laughs) and I, uh, I, then I I went and worked at, uh, I actually got out of the business for a little bit, but, uh. But I was in my early part of my journey for sobriety, and uh, I was told that I couldn't work in restaurants anymore by the AA people. Really? Can't be around booze. Yeah, yeah. And BYOBs were in a thing, right? At least yeah. high-end ones back then. And then luckily, another person intervened, and this, this guy who was listening to these people tell me, you gotta get out of the restaurant. It's like, I guess I'll go cut lawns or something. I, you know, I was really going to, I wanted to get sober, so in AA, you just have to listen to what they say. Sure. And uh, so I was a good student there. And this guy pulled me aside and said, don't listen to them. I was like, what? He said, just what you want to do is just whatever, whatever you, you know, with all your might, pray that when you're at work, that alcohol is just a tool. When you're flambéing, it's just a tool. That's all it is. It's a knife. It's a cleaver. It's just another tool. And just ask God you know, to uh, take away the thoughts that you want to drink that stuff. And I, you know, I'm not a religious person, I'm spiritual, not religious, so I, I did that. Uh, but it was the intention of it. So um, I, uh, 
I had turned down a job at this huge, wonderful restaurant, told them I was an alcoholic, uh, <laughs> and I couldn't take the job. And the guy called me back a few days later after I turned the job down. He said, I don't know why I'm doing this, because I certainly don't want to hire an alcoholic, but I see something in you. And his name was Tony Shagonis, and uh, he brought me into the place, and uh, that was phenomenal. That was an amazing experience. So Greenbrier, um, that, that place was incredible. I learned how to run really big restaurants. And then I decided, then he sold the restaurant. Um, and then I was brokenhearted because <laughs> he sold the restaurant. And then I, I got a phone call. This is interesting. I got a phone call from, from this person who said that they saw my resume and they wanted to talk to me. And I was so naive because I'd only worked in restaurants for about 15 years and I didn't know what the outside world was about. It was a multi-level marketing place. Mm. It was called Primerica. Mm. Okay. And they sold insurance, <laughs> and it was like this whole pyramid thing. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't know. So I went in there, and I'm like, oh, this is cool. Wow, I could become an insurance salesman. You know, and I had no clue yeah. that it was like that. But what I learned there was a lot more about human nature than I ever learned before. People would, would do anything to be part of something where they could feel special. And uh, that, that was an amazing experience. I almost, you know, almost lost my home. You know, I'm almost like, you know, you don't make money in these things. Wow. But I learned that people, if you get them excited about something. It's ego. And yeah, and, and they feel like they're part of this like cult. It was like a cult, right? And so I learned the power of cult. And uh, I was like, oh, so that was another amazing lesson. And then I went back to the restaurant business. I took a little bit of AA, a little bit of what they were doing in this cult. And I said, what are the actual mechanisms where human beings will be engaged? Will they, they'll actually give their heart and soul to something, and it's not about money. And uh, so I started exploring that and back in the restaurant world. And so I, I was a chef at two more restaurants. One was The last one was La Campagna, which was a renowned uh, yeah. French provincial restaurant. And uh, it's like a top 20 yeah. gourmet magazine joint. Yeah. And then um, the whole leadership thing just started calling me too much. Uh, and then I started to codify in my own mind, studying these different folks um, that uh, had these understandings of human nature. How do you build a happy, high-performing team? How do you build a great workplace where everybody's like into it and everybody's engaged? And so I started that journey. Did you experience both ends of that spectrum? You were on a high-engaged, love-your-job team all the way to the magic is gone. Oh, yeah. 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 I've worked in horrendous teams where yeah. there is no magic, and it's it's horrible. <laughs> so, so I... Uh, there's a lot. Sometimes there's more learning in that. Well, failure is the, the right? teacher. Because yeah. I've, I've often said you, you can learn to be a better manager of people more from watching bad managers than just trying to emulate a good manager. Absolutely. That's, that's that person's style to be a good manager, but you can see, wow, I will not do that. Yeah. <laughs> or that's a toxic place to be. Yeah. And I know you focus a lot in your company on disengagement, yes, right? Your that's words, right. right? Mm -hmm. I think you said 75% of people are disengaged. It's $500 billion yeah, in productivity. Half the people are looking for jobs. Um, I, and I, we all believe that, right? right? Because many of us feel disengaged mm -hmm. from certainly nine to five and not just not just corporate, but right. retail, industrial, um, because I think there's a lack of purpose. Right. It's just go in, punch the clock, do my job and go exactly. home. Exactly. And there's no vision of a higher 
yes. uh, purpose. That's right. So how do you get people engaged? Well, first you have to understand that it, there's a biology behind it. There's not philosophy. Um, it's biology. Like yeah. human beings are purpose maximizers. Like we, we are absolutely built. Our brains are wired in to be tribal, to be part of something yep. that's bigger than us, and that we can feel that feeling, that safety and belonging right. in that space. So you have to understand the science behind it. Um, and, you know, once you kind of have a handle on that, because it's counterintuitive, all of it is a paradox. It's the complete opposite of what comes natural, because natural leadership, as I call it, with quotes, is domination. It's, you know, do what I say or else, which is, mm-hmm. which was the model up until very recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and thanks to COVID and this newer generation, it's being all blown up. And it is backwards and broken, but people bought into it before because the economics were different. Uh, meaning, you know, like I think about my dad, um, you know, he had a, he worked for the same company for 40 some years. Right. It's over. So everybody now doesn't have that. They're not going to go to a business and they're going to be taken care of for their whole life. But that used to be the, the American way. Sure. So... Uh, because of the new economy, because of the new era workplace, leaders have to learn new skills, period. And that's what One Degree is about. It's teaching these new skills that don't really make sense at first and so that people will give you permission to be their leader or mentor. You can't, people will not do anything, they will not engage in anything that they don't want to do. Yeah. So these are soft skills. Yeah. Yeah. So just itemize, list a couple of the skills that you think are the most important that people need in order to be successful as a manager, successful as in their own career. What are those skills right I've now? I've kind of redid it recently. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, great. Perfect. Let's hear. Yeah. I used to be like, I used to be like, um, you know, care about people, mm-hmm. really care. Like actually I would, I dared to say the word love recently, love people, you know, like try to have that level of empathy. Um, understand human nature and then take responsibility. And so I've, I've kind of changed the first two out <laughs> and it's vulnerability now. Okay. It's like being open to just feeling it, you know, and uh, vulnerability is actually a superpower. And a lot of people don't understand what vulnerability is, but it's actually being authentic. It's like just being able to just be your freaking self. <laughs> and if you're, you know, if your drool is showing and you know you're you know you're not always perfect people absolutely love that they mm-hmm. love authenticity just be vulnerable to that and then <clears throat> self awareness like just really go on a journey to figure out like what's driving you like most people go through life and don't know why they're doing what they're doing so they can't find purpose and then responsibility like take responsibility for your self awareness and how you how, and, and then share that with others. You know, if it's like a 3.5 is a share with others. So that's my new, um, my new code. So all those self skills that you, you know, self awareness, all that, all that you just discussed, do you find that that needs to be developed in the manager more than the teammate or the person that reports to them? Like what person? I'm probably not asking. This no, you're asking me. a great question. Then I'll stop right there. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>, so. <laughs> Human beings need vision. They need a purpose, right, to follow. So like at Saxby's, what we developed, Saxby's like make life better. It has nothing to do with coffee. 
People don't care about what you do, they care about why you do sure. it. So that's biology, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at Simon Sinek in the mm -hmm. Golden Circle and look at that stuff, folks that know that, it turns out that you know we are driven by this very, uh, by our feelings and the, the part of our brain that actually makes all of our decisions for us mm -hmm. um, has no language capacity. So it's all, it's all very tribal and it's all very like, you know, in nanoseconds, people decide whether they trust you or not. And then the neocortex, which is our human brain, you know, justifies the things that we, that we, we do. But most people go through life and they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. They don't know. They just get up every morning and, and, right. and they are driven by their, their impulses. So um, what you have to understand is if you give people a vision and you give them some purpose and, they're, they're, it's, and it's yours and they say, well, you know what? I kind of like that. You know, We're not trying to build cults here. We want to build culture. Right? The difference between a cult and culture mm -hmm. is cults are completely overlapped and they absorb the person. This is just somebody touching your belief system and saying, you know what? I kind of believe that too and I think I want to hang out with you guys for a while. Okay. <clears throat> and that creates loyalty. And so um, you, you have a leader and he's got vision and he's got a set of values, which or is she. how you or do she. What's that? Or she? Or I'm she. sorry. You're right. <laughs> they, 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 them. Um, thank you, Stacey. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm showing my age. Um, <laughs> but in between the vision, the leader, the values that are created by some wonderful person is the team on the other side. Mm -hmm. But in between them is the manager. Mm -hmm. And the biggest disconnect that I have to work with is I've got this wonderful person who has this great idea this great vision for what life could be and what we could do. He finds some people who believe too and he builds a little tribe and then they plunk a manager down in between them. And if that manager is not aligned, does not know how to be a leader and does not reflect the true vision and values of the organization and the, and the founder, dysfunction. Not only dysfunction, it's I always say it's worse to have a codified culture than to have it and not actually execute it mm. properly. It really messes people up. So you're saying if if the leader is saying, okay, here's my vision, here's my mission, and they hear this from the leader, and then the manager isn't translating it, right. it's worse for the team because they they see what the leader's trying to do, but they also see that the manager's not helping or not or hindering exactly. that, and it's, yeah. it causes crumble. It causes total disillusion and then disengagement. That, right. That's the biggest problem. Um, Gallup wrote a book a few years ago called It's the Manager, and they should have said, it's the manager, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> because this happens all the, all the time. Wow. You know, oh, we got this great idea. And the team's like, we believe. And then this person comes in and says, all right, you guys, I'm in charge here, and this is the way it's going to go. And, uh, yeah. and, and they don't know how to connect the one-degree connection. Mm. That's why one degree. Mm -hmm. The one-degree connection between the vision and the values and the goals of the company and everybody in the organization. And the manager, um, and so there's no leadership training out there in most mid-sized companies, right? Especially small companies. We can't afford that. But that's the thing that messes up all the profits mm -hmm. and all the sales growth. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I'm just trying to get the word out that you gotta take time to do that. Yeah. Enlightened leadership. Because too often you're, you're taking the person who is best at their job, the A player at their job, they become the manager. Mm -hmm. And they're 
automatically hit, not automatically, often a B or a C player in that new role. Right. Right. When they should have just been left in their role. Yeah. Yeah. True. And you get the A well, productivity they might be asking. out of that They person. might be asking. They, they might, might be, be like, hey, I want, I, yeah. I want more responsibility. I want, you know, and you want to give those people if you're a good leader. Sure. Well, you, you want, want a career path and all that. Career paths. And a lot of times these people are dominant, right? That's how they, they fight their way the through. They're the most vocal. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. 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 Can, um, can this go the other way too, right? So I think, you know, I, I ran a company and you and I talked quite a bit about it. Yeah. But I think one of the things that I, I think back on, the things I probably didn't do well, you know, there's a lot of beating up of yourself, you know, when there's no, no more company. But um, one of the things I think I went the other way. I went too vulnerable, too authentic, too permissive in some senses, oh, but question. that's just my personality. So how do you, if you're <clears throat> the other side of the coin, mm. and I just want everyone to love, like I loved everybody, they're mm-hmm. all my friends, mm-hmm. you know, and I wanted to, you know, like I thought, um, but that wasn't really the way to go either. Yeah, I learned that from Judy Wicks. Like she had this amazing balance of like, she could be an absolute buffoon, you know, and have fun. And I'm not saying that you were a buffoon. Yeah, I was kind of a buffoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, one time they made her a birthday cake and she sat on it. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was fantastic. The pastry chef was pissed, but um, she taught me the, uh, the center of the one degree uh, methodology wow. um, that I didn't figure out for like 20 years later, but she could connect and you have to connect first. You have to be vulnerable. You have to, you have to be able to do that. Because if you can't connect with people, then there's no way they're going to follow you, especially in today's marketplace. Like, you know, I'm oh, yeah. I've been doing this stuff for like 15 years now, and COVID and the, the great resignation changed everything. Right, it accelerated, and then the generational values that came up. But I don't want to get ahead of myself because that's really important to talk about. But okay. you got to connect first. So. You have managers who are connectors, you know, and everyone loves them, right? But people also need direction. They need discipline. order and they need discipline. So it's a, it's this balancing act, and I, this is one of the methodologies or techniques I teach leaders, especially newer leaders, please connect. But now i got to teach you how to direct. How do you tell people what to do? And it's balancing. Connect first, but make sure you direct. And I'll, I'll go into a, an organization and I'll look around. I'll just see which ones are the connectors and which ones are the directors. And the directors are those go-getter, tough bosses, you know, and then the connectors are like, but I want everybody to be happy, right? <laughs> and I, I teach this balancing act between the two. Um, and that's... Uh, that's and you do that um, via the predictive index now? Because I saw that in your... Oh, yeah. Yeah, which I think is super cool. I don't know. You don't need to go into full detail about it. Well, but predictive what's... index is a talent optimization platform um, that helps people create self-awareness and then understanding others because human beings are wired in, in protective mode. So <clears throat> we're, you know, unless you're like a real, real optimist like you and me, um, a lot of people are like, you know, and then they don't, can't see themselves. So the predictive index... Um, allows you to see what drives you is these four factors and, and uh, it's dominance extroversion patience and formality developed completely for the workplace and uh you uh i'm a maverick by the way um you, you get a profile i don't remember what i am i know i took it yeah uh, i'm not a maverick though no you're probably more like an altruist or something no, no? there's another one no? what are they do you know what are the oh, so there's so a maverick there's 17 of them oh never mind yeah <laughs> well, you're probably a uh, were you a um, promoter yes mm. i think i'm a promoter yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Right. promoters yeah, yeah. love they're very collaborative yes 
<clears throat> and um, yeah, they're, they're amazing. And that was perfect, right? But uh, yeah, Mavericks are, are um, uh, they're, they're uh, out of the box thinkers, they're creative, uh, innovative, and they never give up. That's like what a mm -hmm. Maverick is, they're like whoosh. But anyway, the predictive index allows me now to, to get to that self-awareness with the leader fast. Because if you have a dominant leader who is not collaborative and he is moves fast, or, or he or she, or they, um, and they, uh, <clears throat> they aren't into details, which a lot of people who are in innovation aren't into details, by the way, um, they can easily uh, not be great leaders. You know, they've gotten there by their willpower to your point, Mark, and, and then they have to create this whole other. So when they become aware of the things that are messing them up, and it's done in a way through the predictive index, it's not judgmental, it's just, it's, it's who you are, there's no good or bad, it's just, this is who you are. Um, and then they look at other people's patterns, it's a pattern that's formed by these four factors, and they can go, oh my God, I need to let this person be more collaborative, I'm like dominating them. Yes, you do. I'm like driving this person crazy because I just never stop talking and, and they're more introspective. That's right. You know, I've moved too fast. I got to slow down. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. You know, I break the rules all the time and it's making my accountant crazy. Yeah, when you're with them, you should probably not do that. And it just creates this, instead of being like, you're an asshole and I'm not, it's like, yeah. I'm okay, you're okay, and this is how, but how can we treat each other better at work through the predictive index. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I, love, I love, loved love it too. It. it was really fun. Love and it. then you can also like look at one of your coworkers and be like, oh, they're a promoter or oh, yeah. they're a maverick or oh. Right. And you understand them more in sort of like a third party way versus like, oh, that's Ted. Yeah. And he's, you know, just being a pain. That's or right. Or whatever. You Ted know what is I mean? Ted. Ted is Ted. As long as Ted's not, you know. And we're not really talking about the real Ted, whatever the Ted no, is. No, I know. <laughs> this no, is no, a I mean, fake Ted. Yeah, I, I usually use Bob. <laughs> Bob, John, yeah. Mary. Yeah. Um, yeah. As long as they're good people do you and know, living like, within the values so can i'm sorry do you have something no, no go ahead so it's so interesting I, I, right like i, I keep I, thinking I like of that. questions but i don't yeah. want to no, no. um i was going to say is there an example of someone that you've helped along the way like why did they come to you you don't have to name names but why did they come to you and you know like how did you take them from whatever wherever they were they came to you to success like what do you have a question you don't want me to talk about you? <laughs> you can. No. I suppose. I don't know. Uh, no. It's going to be a success um, story. So it is. I see you smiling. <laughs> I see you happy. And I'm very happy. Happy now. I'm um, mm, so yeah. happy that you're happy. Um, so, yeah. Um, I, I have a dozen clients, companies mostly. And within those organizations are dozens of people that I interact with every day. And I'm helping them to evolve into... Um, a happy place for them at work. And so um, I guess a, a, an example, I think, well, I think a great example is Nick Bayer. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Nick, when I met Nick, we were both not in a great place. We were both had the same partner in two different enterprises. Nick, by the way, for listeners, is the CEO of Saxby's That's in right. Philadelphia. And boy, how that, he has evolved and the company's evolved. I mean, mind-blowing it's yeah, evolved. It's yeah. now an experiential learning platform for students that just happens to be a coffee company. Right, right. right. Um, so when I met Nick, you know, he was with this person who wanted to franchise, and Nick just wanted to build community. And uh, one day I was, um, I was about to open this big steakhouse, and I was talking to my team because I was a real believer even back then about core values and building these value systems where people can... Uh, understand the kind of behavior that that we want how a team should behave on its best day 
it's an ideal. It's not, you know, it's, it, we don't want people to be perfect. Just why don't we just respect each other and why don't we have some integrity and that kind of stuff? Um, let's work on that. So I was giving a speech or a talk to my team about core values and his dad walked by the door because we were in this big office. Nick Bear's dad? Yeah, Nick's Bear's dad. They, they used to work. Okay. The parents would work with him. And uh, he was new to Philadelphia. He was, I think, in Atlanta before that. And he, I just remember this guy like backing up, and <laughs> standing at the door and like listening and then running away. And I was <laughs> like, and he went and found Nick. And he said, Nick, you got to hear this guy. He's, I think he's what you need. You talk like this all the time. And Nick and I got together and we talked and we interacted. And, and he started to understand, <clears throat> like, I've got to live by my belief system, not by money or franchising and franchising is like like you know it, it can be good but not a big fan it, it's it's the overlord taking all the cream off the top and you get the scraps right and that's why sometimes franchises aren't great so he was like i don't want to franchise anymore so he got out of that and we worked together on and off we built his value system and his culture uh, he had already had i think make life better um and uh, over the years, on and off, we've worked together. And I went back in a few years ago and re redid the value system because he now had a vision that he wanted to create an experiential learning cafe in universities all around the country where young people would learn to be leaders in real time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And cool. so um, I helped him work on all that kind of cultural leadership stuff. And um, I watched him because he wanted it right. to evolve. It was already there. It's just that he was in a construct that, you know, I've got to make money. I've got to make this business successful. <clears throat> and now, look at him. So you're saying that leaders shouldn't focus on making money, per se? You know, there's there was a study done called Good to Great. Mm -hmm. And it was written in the late 90s when it was all about making money, right? And it turned everything upside down and it turned out it was the opposite of what everybody else was doing this is the theme right because the way our brains are structured because the the thing that really matters doesn't have language capacity the louder voice of logic and and materialism drowns out the voice of purpose and and and, and goodness so we 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 default to that so yeah making money will happen if you look at the good to great study if you find enlightened leadership, servant leadership, whatever you want to call it, you find true believers, you build a culture where everybody's focused on this one wonderful idea, you face the brutal facts, but you don't give up hope, so you have awareness, and then the money comes. It's, it's very interesting. Um, when he aligned his vision of the world to his business, and it took years, by the way, it doesn't happen overnight, he is now, you know, I was emailing him the other day and he, he, he and uh he we still stay in contact and he just did this amazing capital raise right like the money came and they're going to expand even more wow and it, it, it before it was like when they were trying to force it it wasn't happening so you got to line up the chakras success is lining up the chakras of enlightened leadership team and a culture that believes having a, a very focused platform which we call the hedgehog you know, what are you passionate about? What what can you be great out? And then what drives your economic engine? And those three things have to stay aligned. And when you line those chakras up, um, it doesn't always happen, but 
and then you can't quit. You're just because <laughs> you never know. Like I've seen so many people quit before success. Right. You know? so. Yeah. What? Uh, what? Let's take you back to the restaurant world. You valued the power. You valued the position. You value. What do you value now? What is the most important as you define your personal success? What What do you value most? I want to share. I think that this generation now is a little lost, mm-hmm. and I'm not a generation, you know, smackdown guy. I like I, I have millennials <laughs> as children, but I think that they're lost, and I want to share with them how an average guy, with just a little bit of optimism and um, a lot of grit, can find happiness and purpose. Like I, I can't. Yeah, you, you get he's getting emotional, and I understand because this is this is you, this is your heart, Ed. You're gonna make me cry too. Well, and you went through some obstacles. You went through some I can't believe my obstacles. life. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you're very I'm, blessed. I'm, but you made it. I'm happen. a loser, right? I no, mean, I should no, I should have been a loser. But a couple of people came along and, and pulled my ass out. Key moments. And um, I. It's crazy to think. I just. You I changed the game. And so I want to share that with people, yeah. like. And, and I think what's happening now, the thing that's really driving me, if I'm answering your question properly, Mark, and tell me if I'm not, um, as you can tell, I can easily go off the rails. There, there's these three things that you need to be happy at work. And they're purpose, mm-hmm. a transcendent purpose that work matters. And the new generation has that absolutely right. They're the first generation that stood up and said, we're not just going to do freaking work. We want purpose. Boom. So they're so right about that. And the next thing you need is a sense of mastery. You gotta be good at something. Like everybody in this room is good at something, right? And um, yeah, you are, I know you. <laughs> and, um, and, and that sense of mastery gives you real sense of security and, and gives you identity. And, um, and, and that's real value. And then the next thing that people need to be happy at work is autonomy. They want to be self-directed. They don't want to be micromanaged. They want to be free. So the new generation wants purpose and they want autonomy. Mm-hmm. That's the at work at home, sure. work-life balance, which is, by the way, a lie that's been sold to a lot of people. Work-life balance doesn't exist. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but the mastery part's getting lost because what's happening is is that people are wandering from job to job to job and they're never getting mastery. So my 20 years in the restaurant business, 20, well, 35 years, 25 as a chef and then as a manager and owner and COO and all that stuff, I got deep mastery. So that bought me my autonomy. You cannot become autonomous if you're not good at something. So I'm trying to get the word out that, you know, I know that you find a place where the culture's right don't worry so much about making the money, not if you're young, you know, um, it'll come and, and find a place, find a tribe to hang out with, but get good at something, something. And, uh, and I know that sounds very like baby boomer, but it's, Hmm. it's, I just see it over and over again now. So I, um, but is there an opportunity to do that these days? Like it's, there is. Okay. Yeah. How you just, there's lots of places that need people. And they're trying to change the the workplace. 
COVID forced the workplace to wake up um, and to change the way that they build their workplaces and the way they treat their people and the opportunities that they give and career path. The whole thing is, is a revolution happening mm -hmm. right now. And um, <clears throat> so it's, it's not happening fast enough for me sometimes, but <laughs> that's what I do. But um, if you can build a better workplace um, in, and then someplace people can feel safe and, and they feel like they're growing and they have that opportunity. Uh, but I'm just, uh, I'm just trying to get out the word, like stay somewhere for a year and a half, you know, don't jump around and around and around. Cause you'll never, you'll always go into someplace and you'll never get autonomy and you'll never get that next thing because you just never, you never learned. You have to always rely on somebody else. You always will have to collaborate unless you learn You'll be micromanaged too. Something in and out. Yeah. This yeah, person yeah, yeah. doesn't know what they're doing. And right. so I'm going to have to like, right. yeah. Yeah. Well, oh my gosh, I have so many questions. I can't believe we're almost at an hour. And um, wow. yeah, and I, so normally what we do is do like a couple lightning round, just sure. a few little fun questions, you oh know, and get us out of the deep. And, <clears throat> and then I want you to tell everybody how to get a hold of you oh, okay. and how to grow your business and what you really want, Okay, great. you know, in the Thank future. You. Yeah, no, that's, that's one of our, one of our things, but okay. Um, what's on your bedside table right now? Um, I'm reading Enlightened Leadership by Matt Pepsel. He's a PI a guy and mm. he's always about leadership um there's a book um about astronomy Ooh. that i'm reading as well why it's a i'm fascinated by the universe the stars, stars and, and stuff um and then um 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 oh my gosh i'm having trouble i'm reading this book and i can't remember the title it's about hospitality it's written oh my god um it's called uh, unreasonable hospitality oh Yes, it's about uh, a, a restaurant in New York that was the number one restaurant in the world and how they they did hospitality so outrageously that uh, they created a whole ecosystem out of it. Damn, that's it's cool. It's going the extra mile. Very, very cool. And then one thing, this is my favorite question. Do you have any to tag I, I have one. Yeah, go ahead. You, you asked first, then I'll ask this one last. You've called yourself some terrible things. Oops. In this, <laughs> you called yourself a loser. You called yourself an asshole. I just want you to give us two or three compliments of yourself. Oh, good what one. Good, good one, Mark. What do you, even in one words, single word. Um, hmm. <laughs> I guess a uh, gritty is one. Um, um, a, I'm learning to be empathetic, um, teacher, hmm. um, motivator. Clearly um, humble. Yeah. Very humble. We should yes. we should have had a truth teller with you. Yeah, yeah, to pull <laughs> out the would, uh, humbleness. The Actually, I could probably talk to how amazing you are. Yeah, but oh. I don't want to embarrass you. No, you're a guru. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. So then, just to piggybacking on that one, I love that, Mark. That was an awesome question because you are sort of self-deprecating, like to the max. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's one thing that no no one knows about you that you can break on this podcast? Hmm. Wow, I've never been asked that question. Or very few people. I guess because I'm such a, an extrovert and I'm so out there. I don't know if there's much I haven't told. Um, oh, um, I wrote about this in my... Um, I used I had used a very active imagination. <laughs> and I used to pretend like I was a time traveler. Wow. Up into my, like, 20s. Wait, tell me about that. Yeah, I would I would do this game where I would... Uh, I started as a child because an amazing dream machine that I still have. I have these incredibly vivid dreams. Sorry, piano. And uh, <laughs> I would... Uh, 
I would sit down with like you folks and I'd close my eyes and I'd start to imagine and I would come in and I didn't know who you were, even if you were my best friends, or where I was or what, what year it was. And I would have to figure out what my relationship was with you, what who I was in this thing that I landed in, because I would land in another body. That sounds actually like a lot of fun. And I would fun um, mental exercise. I would do this wild game, and I would my friends, you know, would be not knowing I was doing this. And I would, <laughs> Whoa! I would start asking them questions about themselves in a way that they didn't, you know. It was this, and I kept doing it into my twenties. And no one and knew was, that. No one I knew. I was so embarrassed by it, but. Um, why? Why was that embarrassing? Because I was, that's some five-year-olds did, right? So, <laughs> Magical thing. But I was, I would, I just had this overact, uh, and I'd get bored easily, so that would, you know, I'd be with my friends, and they'd be like, hey, man, you need to smoke another joint? And I'd be like, no, I just want to imagine and play and And you go into this universe. time travel machine and yeah. show up as... As who, I didn't know who A I different was. skin, Ed. Yeah. That's sick. Who, who is this You know what? We should write a movie them. about that. It's really cool. That's yeah. cool. I love that. And so that's that almost a form of like anybody. dissociation, really. Like, yeah. you know, maybe you just felt like not really being here. Or maybe I didn't want to be me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Sorry. There's so, so much more there. <laughs> What'd you say? I didn't realize how self-deprecating I am, but I am. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you're an egomaniac narcissist and, and you're reformed, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You can go back to that. And yeah. Right. Yeah. You got to be careful. Um, so what, how can people get in touch with you, learn about you, mm-hmm. work with you? And which, and which channel do you want them to reach out to? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I wish I was better on social media, but, um, you know, I am it's one degree coaching. And so I have a website and in that website, there's a lot of resources. There's ways to contact me. It's www.onedegreecoaching.com. Um, I write a weekly blog that I'm really passionate about, it. Ed's Notes, and um, you can go on the website and sign up for that. Please do that. And that you, I share every Sunday morning, I share some thoughts about the world, leadership, and maybe a little bit about myself, uh, but mostly about you know building happy, high-performing workplaces and uh, in this new era that we're in. Love it. Yeah. Thank you. This has been great. Thanks Ed, so this has been great. Love tapping into love a great you. mindset like yours. I love you. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. This has been awesome. Thanks for having me. I have another me. two hours for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to start charging us. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Really. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, thank you guys. You're still here? You're still listening? Thanks for listening to the Gurus and Game Changers podcast. While you're here, if you enjoyed it, please take a minute to rate this episode and leave us a quick review. We want to know what you thought of the show and what you took from it and how it might have helped you. We read and appreciate every comment. Thanks. See you next week.